Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. everybody and welcome to another episode of the talking comics podcast it is october 16th 2019 otherwise known as new comic book day and you're listening to episode number 412 uh i am joey Bracino, taking the reins from mr steve say celebrating some canadian holiday this uh this week fake uh, holiday fake <laughs> holiday i'm also here with mr bob ryer Hey, it's not Thanksgiving. Sorry, Canada, but well, you, we, you can have it. Okay. And joining us once again, returning from her adventures all around the globe, Miss Sarah Miles is back. All Thanksgivings are silly anyway. They're not real holidays. Yes. <laughs> Celebration of colonialism, let's be real. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sarah, you've been out and about. I have. I've been all over the place. Yeah. So I am now, I'm now back on my sofa. In good old Blighty. <laughs> Excellent. Um, you Let's start with... Uh, uh, first of all, let's start with Ladies of Valhalla. Let's start there before recounting your adventures. You, have a, you had a crazy episode this past weekend come out. Yeah, so um, last Sunday we sat down for a couple of hours with Kelly Thompson, writer on uh, Captain Marvel, the new Deadpool book, and most importantly for this episode, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, <laughs> we had a really, really good time chatting with her. It was just like having an old friend come on and talk to us. She mm. just slotted into the dynamic perfectly. That episode is now live. We talk about the Sabrina comics. We talk about the chilling adventures of Sabrina. We discuss the fact that Archie comics were completely unknown to me, um, which apparently is weird because apparently everyone else in America knows mm. about Archie. And I was like, yep, yeah, no, we did not get those. Did not know they were a thing. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was a lot of fun, um, and that is up now. And equally as exciting, you can now find that episode on our new website, yeah. ladiesofvalhalla.com. Mm, shiny. Mm. Looks amazing. Many, many thanks to Jessica for um, putting that website together. We spent basically a day of my holiday kind of working on stuff for the site and putting the show together and lots of bits and pieces. But she is just a design genius and she makes everything look very, very pretty. So, uh, yeah, kudos to Jess for that one. Before we get into like your NYCC events, because you did a lot of crazy stuff there. Um, what did you what, what did you and Jess get up to out on the island? While you were, while she, you were in she, town. she just she scared me a lot. Um, <laughs> for those who don't follow her on social media, Jess and her family run the North Patchog Fire Department House of Horrors, which you can find on uh, if you go onto Instagram and search for MPFD House of Horrors, you can actually find it on there. Um, and I Jess was there thought... last night, by the way, it was hysterical <laughs> and horrible and amazing. Yeah, so full disclosure, I'm a massive wimp. Um, 
if I'm going to watch a horror movie, I will go to IMDb first and I will read the synopsis so that I know what's coming. So I won't get scared. Um, Jess, maybe go through House of Horrors. Yeah. Yeah. Even the bits where I knew that someone was going to jump out at me or someone was going to yell at me, I still screamed louder than the bunch of 16-year-old girls that went through before us. Um, Jess filmed the whole thing. Oh, even, even the point at which I turned to her lovely husband, Dan, and was like, you have to go in front of me because I'm not going any further unless someone is in front of me. And Dan questioned what happened to feminism. And I was like, well, <laughs> frankly my feminist self knows that you need to be in front of me because if one more thing jumps out in front of me, I'm just going to start crying. I was absolutely terrified. Um, afterwards, it was very enjoyable having been through it when my heart rate went back to a normal level. Um, I spoke to some of the actors afterwards because there's a lot, like it's big and it takes a long time to go through and there's a lot of people involved. And I said to some of them, you know, we don't like have haunted houses in England. Um, and I'm never going to a haunted house again. And they were oh. like, is that supposed to be a compliment? I was like, yes, <laughs> I am terrified. Like now that I'm speaking to you face to face, even with like the prosthetics and the makeup, I'm still terrified, but you're very, very good at what you do. So in a roundabout way, this is me saying, if you are on Long Island, go to the North Patchog Fire Department House of Horrors, because it's very, very good, but also terrifying. Um, yeah. And I then- love I love the part where the the medical office. No, uh, no, this sounds, yeah. this sounds terrifying. <laughs> it was it was awesome. Interestingly, we were online last night. My friend Ed and Dawn and their daughter Sydney, who's fourth grade, and online in front of us were two people whose grandmother used to live in that house. Yeah. Get out yeah. of here! Yeah, no lie, no lie at oh, all. Dude. It was pretty amazing. We were wondering. Did those people walk through the house and see, wait, isn't that my grandmother's lamp? <laughs> wait no, a minute, I no, visit no. this house. Ah, one thing I will tell you, there is a picture of her in the house. Uh-uh. <laughs> there's, there's a picture on one of the walls. And I was oh, like, boy. who's the creepy old lady? And Jess said, that's the woman whose house this was. And I was like, nope. Yikes. not happening so this this um, immersion therapy you know didn't 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 adjust you to horror at all because you texted me when you were leaving the island you were like <laughs> hey next time i come back let's go let's go investigate some abandoned asylums and i was like what have they done to you <laughs> well we did do that we did go and because it's now a state park there is there is um a whole set of abandoned buildings that used to be asylums and you can now walk around the outside of them because it is part of a state park. And we did go there during the day, admittedly. Good idea. Um, Even so, it was still kind of creepy because you can still see some of the signs that say, you know, surgical department Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. And the windows are barred and some of them are the original barred windows. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very creepy. But yes, I did manage to do that. So possibly the immersion therapy helped. I haven't tried watching a horror movie since I got back. Um, but maybe. No. Maybe I'm not as bad as I used to be. But yeah, next time, Joey. <laughs> what, next time. Now, what, was, what was most scary? The haunted house, the asylum, or White Castle? Oh. <laughs> um, I'll be honest. We stepped into White Castle and I went... Oh, it smells like 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And Jess was yes. like, what? I'm like, yeah, it smells like the terrible kebab shop you go to to get your chips at 2 o'clock in the morning when yeah. you've been out drinking. Yeah. Um, That's what it's yeah. for. Yeah, exactly. 
the floors were very sticky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that much about it. But how were the sliders? Um, okay, so for anyone in England who remembers going to children's birthday parties at Wimpy as a youth, that's what White Castle tasted like. It tasted like bad life choices and disappointment. Oh, oh. I am a, I'm a big castle head. Me too. I'm going to be honest, I ate all of it. Although Dan did insist we have the cheese dip. Now I think we're going to oh. re-have to have the cheese conversation. <laughs> Because caustic, acidic, yellow goop that you can dunk fries in? Mm. Not cheese. No. Um, no. Now, the main event of your trip, obviously, was New York Comic Con. Uh, and, you know, Bob and I got to talk a little bit about it last week, but we wanted to give you the chance. You know, any highlights from the trip for you, New York Comic Con trip, anything that you just needed to make sure that you shared with our loyal listeners about your time at uh, New York Comic Con? Um, well, the probably the biggest highlight for me on the Saturday, Jess and I cosplayed as Charlie and Vita from Crowded. And everybody knows that we're big, big fans of Crowded. We had Ted and Ro on Ladies of Valhalla. Um, but we were sort of, you know, Instagramming and, and Twittering pictures of ourselves dressed up. And we got a message on Twitter from Chris Sabella saying, you have to come to my table. I need to meet you. Oh. And we were like, okay. So this was on Saturday. So Artist Alley was crazy. It took us like an hour to get two rows. And by the time we got to his table, he'd gone. And just as we were about to leave and go somewhere else, I turned around and he just like, he's a big guy. He's Mm -hmm. a very tall chap. And he was like, you could see him above the crowd of people. And he was just waving to us with the biggest grin on his face um and basically he said he's seen charlie cosplayers before he's seen vita cosplayers before but he'd not seen a charlie and a vita so he took some pictures with us he gave us loads of just stuff he was like here are patches here are badges here are stickers have things um and we both picked up some books from him jess got her crowded volume one signed that it was just really lovely Um, And the funniest thing is we kind of slipped into the dynamic of Charlie and Vita. So Jess just kept randomly putting things down and then wandering off and like (laughs) getting distracted by shiny things. Um, And we were standing at, we were were talking to Erica Henderson and we were standing at her table and I said to Jess, can you hold this for a second? And I handed her my books so I could get some money out so I could buy something. And then I looked down and she's just put my books on Erica Henderson's table and wandered off. <laughs> I was like, you're not actually Charlie. I don't, I shouldn't have to put some kind of tracer on you so that I can find you at all times. Come back here. Come back <laughs> now. And she kind of sulked back and Erica Henderson was cracked up. She's like, do you two even know what you're doing? I was like, no, this is just how it's been all day. And apparently I had the appropriate exasperated expression. Um but that was really, really fun, and we had a great time, and we got to do some very, very exciting interviews, um, which I believe Jess is in the process of editing at the moment, so hopefully those will be coming out soon. Um, but I just want to say a big thank you to Dark Horse, who were really, really lovely and um, hosted us for lots of interviews over the course of the weekend, and their entire stand was run by women. It was really, really cool. They were super lovely. Um, They had really comfy chairs as well. (laughs) Um, But they were all really, really lovely ladies. Um, 
So that was really, really good. And obviously we had the meetup on the Saturday night where um, I got to meet lots of people. I finally met Kyle, who mm. like I've been oh. talking to for like eight years and yet had never met in person before. So that was awesome. Um, and we um, did a mini takeover of Jeremy Whitley's table at one point, which was very, very fun. Um, there are some amazing photos of that. Jess has started putting them up online. Uh, but Jeremy just kind of sitting there being like, I don't know what's happening. And Gail Simone in the background looking baffled, all these people being raucous at the table. So that was good. Um, but yeah, it was it was an awesome time. Um, I'm actually starting a new job this week. And my first thing I will do in my new job is make sure that I can book off the time to come back for 2020's New York Comic Con. Oh, breaking oh, news. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, oh, it was so much fun. I could I can't not come back. And Jess and Dan are amazing hosts and for some bizarre reason have told me that I can come back again. So, like uh, somehow they've not had enough of me. I don't really understand it. Um but yeah, so it's it's been very exciting and then when I went to book into my flight to come home, I booked him fine online got a text message before we'd even left the house to drive to the airport saying your flight is delayed by an hour and a half please arrive at the airport on time anyway and i was like "Mm, okay that's the thing so got to the airport dropped my bag off went through booted up netflix started watching glow oh yeah Um, season one gorgeous ladies of wrestling managed to watch the entire first season of glow oh boy that's an hour and a half (laughs) it well you have to be at the airport three hours early anyway but it was quite a delay but it was absolutely fine because i got to watch all of glow and it was really really good um and now i need to kind of carve eight hours out of my life to watch season two not quite sure when that's going to happen but yeah season two is great season three i'm still getting through the comic that uh idw put out by teeny howard and hannah templar also very good (laughs) Awesome. I shall add that to my list of things to pick up when I go into the shop next. But yeah, just amazing trip. Utterly exhausting. Um, got back, went straight back to work, did two days at my job, had my leaving due Friday night, spent all of Saturday recovering from my leaving due Friday night. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been quite a week. Yeah. Mm. Next How did, year. Oh, oh go sorry. Ahead, go ahead, Bob. Oh, I was just going to say, how did this time around at New York Comic Con compare? What Contrast and compare, as you used to say in school. Bob, I better remember last month. Please don't okay. ask me to mention I went to seven years ago. Okay, I'm sorry. Did you get any cool prints? <laughs> I got all of the cool prints. I have got so much artwork i got um i got a poison ivy by vanessa del rey Whoa. I, I got two from sweeney boo i got a sabrina and a squirrel girl from sweeney boo i got a couple of medusas from artists that i'd never heard of but were absolutely brilliant i got um a furiosa from tula lote but she's watercolor painted the background of it Ooh. what yeah. Oh, it, yeah honestly i was it, watching you order that that looks amazing it is stunning. I can't wait to get that up on the wall. Unfortunately, I've once again encountered the issue that I always get, which is that prints and frames come in completely different sizes. Mm. Like, completely different. Bob very kindly helped me get a Katie Cook, Captain Marvel and Goose print. Um, and it's like, right, there is no print in the world 
no frame in the world that's going to fit this print. So I'm going to have to buy a huge frame for it and put a mount onto it because, because it just doesn't fit anything. Um, so, oh, I didn't tell you about the Jen Bartel, did I? No. So I went to Jen Bartel's table on the Thursday and I was like, I really want those two Captain Marvel prints, but she wasn't there. And I thought, well, there's no point getting them if she's not there. Didn't get a chance to go back on the Friday because we were so busy. And then on the Saturday, went back, queued up, said, yeah, I'd like and she said, I'm the girls that were serving said i'm really sorry that they're both sold out and i was like okay how about this other print no that's sold out what about that one they just sold the last one i was like i cannot come all this way and not get something from jen bartell so we were looking and she had this little sort of six by eight postcard hand-drawn sketch on it of this like perfect you know how jen bartell draws girls with the really Mm -hmm. cute ponytails and like a slouchy jumper that said bye babe on it as in bi babe and i was just like that is really adorable and everybody knows that most of jen bartell's art is done digitally so i was like um could i have that please Mm -hmm. in a this is basically going to use up all of the money i have left for the rest of my trip but i don't care kind of a way um yeah so i bought myself a piece of jen bartell original art wow which cost twice what the prints were going to cost me but i was like this is never going to happen again she does she she does everything digitally to get i mean it's it's beautiful it's tiny i will put a picture up on instagram when i can find a frame for it because that's going to need something very special Mm -hmm. um but yeah artwork wise it was it was a really really good trip for me um yeah, I think I might need some more walls, though. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, next year, when you come back, mm. you and I are mm. going to the theater together. <gasps> I'm saying yes. it right must. now. <laughs> we absolutely must. Yeah. We're, we're, and then you can come to the asylums with me. No, I Where believe I responded that I will pee if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually sent a message to Jess saying I'm only coming back next year if you promise that I don't have to go to the haunted house again. And she was like, haha, yes, fingers crossed. No, I'm lying to you. Yes. She's just ignored that message and not replied to it. <laughs> Left you on red. <laughs> um, cool. No, so awesome having you here. It was such a great weekend of wildness. It was. It was. It was really, really fun. Um the whole time that I was over was awesome. Got to go to Reese's for dinner with Bob because is it really a trip to Long Island if you don't go to Reese's for dinner with Bob? Mm, um, it was lovely. Got to spend some time with um, Jess's family. That was really cool. Went to a brewery for an afternoon, sat in the sunshine, drinking beer, um, went wine tasting. There was a lot of alcohol involved now that I think about it. Hey man, yeah. Yeah. Mm, mm, there was a lot. <laughs> Cool. Um, but no, it was awesome. It was a great trip. And thank you to everybody who um, who I saw or, or spoke to or got in touch with um, and people that wish me bon voyage and things. Had a great time. Coming back. Nice. America. 2020, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the whole gang might be here next year. So we'll see. Could be <laughs> exciting. Rumors. There are rumors. Uh, Jess and I are demanding that Bronwyn comes. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. If we had to choose between Bronwyn and Steve... Who would, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, so we got a, a, a 
I don't want to say a light show this week, but a very focused show, let's say. Uh, we got some lightning rounds to do. I wrote a very interesting uh, uh, comics we're sleeping on question that uh, hopefully we get to as well. And then a little bit of DC rumors at the end of the show. And then uh, we'll get out of here. So should be fun. It was a light week in books. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Um, but let's start with lightning rounds. Shazam! Oh, there you go. Uh, Bob. Oh, I bet you to it. <laughs> Mr. Bob, would you like to start? Certainly. I have a timer out, and by that I mean I don't, but I'm going to pretend. So, whenever <laughs> you are ready. Okay, here we go. I'm going to lead off and close with penultimate issues. And with any luck, I won't spoil two amazing cliffhangers, but instead... Heighten your anticipation. Of course, I could just cheese everybody off. Uh, proper British cheese, naturally. So apologies <laughs> in advance. To business. Wonder Woman number 80 is G. Willow Wilson's next to last issue. And her story shows us a Princess Diana we've rarely seen as she struggles with the concept of a world bereft of love through the murder of Aphrodite. The cheetah is still running rampant with the god killer sword, her powers enhanced by Lex Luthor. And Diana turns to Veronica Kale for help. All these elements and more collide in a pulse-pounding cliffhanger that could spell disaster for Wonder Woman. The art is by Jesus Mourinho, Scott Derenick, Vicente Cifuentes, uh, Trevor Scott, and Romulo Fajardo Jr. Uh, enough said. Anyway. Also part of the Lexian shenanigans is Catwoman number 16, with story and art by Joel Jones cover and colors by Laura Allred. But as it's titled Year of the Villain with a question mark, the outcome is still to be determined, even though her adversary, Raina Creel, seems to hold all the aces. Tying in threads from the start of her run, Ms. Jones has delivered one of her best issues and certainly one of the most stunning visually of this title's history, with a contrasting party pinata interrogation scene that is an absolute cinematic gem. You have to see it to understand, but you'll get it. Speaking of artistic triumphs, Pretty Deadly, The Rat Number 2 by Kelly Sue DeConnick, Emma Rios, Jordi Belair, and Clayton Cowles begins with a series of beautifully evocative and lyrical two-page spreads and only ups the ante from there. Frank, the conjure man, has managed to secure the help of Ginny, the Reaper of Vengeance, in his quest to find justice for his niece, Clara Fields. Ginny will give him three days before she returns to her own mission to locate the errant Big Alice. Their search wends them through the seedy underbelly of Hollywood, highlighted by its own wonderful interrogation sequence that blends, I don't know, waterboarding and Busby Berkeley musicals. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you can tell over the last couple of issues, but the return of Pretty Deadly is probably my favorite comic book event of the year. Finally, well, almost finally, is the penultimate 49th issue of The Unbeatable <laughs> Squirrel Girl by Ryan North, Derek Charm, Rico Renzi, and Travis Lanham. Evil genius Melissa Morbeck's plan to gather all Doreen's foes together in an attempt to defeat the unbeatable Squirrel Girl has hit a couple of snags, which isn't to say things are going well for Doreen. Actually, they're much worse, especially considering the heart-wrenching cliffhanger. This, this final arc 
has really ladled out all the wonderfully uh, iconic, iconoclastic, whatever you want to call it, elements that this series has exhibited throughout its run. So it's certainly leaving us on a high note. But why? Why? <laughs> That's it. I'm done. Panatomate. I just want to reiterate that. <laughs> I think we just need to take a moment to consider penultimate. <laughs> penultimate. It's, on the, it's on the cover. It's right there on the cover. It still needs a moment's consideration. <laughs> so one more there, huh, Bob? Yeah. So this might be my least favorite comic event of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Squirrel Girl. Um, but it is it is really wonderful that all the things that made Doreen and Squirrel Girl her supporting cast, the book from Ryan, Erica, Derek Charm too, and, and the Travis and Rico, mm-hmm. they're there. And so you're you're feeling as if it, it isn't just wandering off, it's it's over with. It's you know, here's why you love this and here's why you're gonna miss us. Are there any plans for more Doreen after? Have they announced anything? No. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to take some time. I I would say if the television show ever found its way into the, the Disney Plus thing yeah. that they might go forward. I believe the team wanted to leave on the highest note possible, tell their story and mm. move on and let it be somebody else's turn. Yeah, It is such a particular voice from Ryan North and Erica and then Derek, who's it wasn't a shaky beginning. It was just a different beginning. Mm. When you come off as someone so stylistically perfect for this as Erica Henderson was, but he's really taken up a, a really tough task wonderfully. Yeah. And who could follow? I, I'd like to think that there's always going to be a place for Squirrel Girl with so many other Marvel books in this ilk having disappeared over th- this year. I think they, they, they may have to look at how we do this again, create an, another little place for these sorts of books that, that are, because Lunella's disappearing, we lost the Wasp, Domino. There is, I mean, there is the rising, there's the rising TV show, which has got look. several of these characters in it, to the best of my knowledge. Yes. Um, so there is always the possibility that we'll get some more coming out of that. Yeah, they like do it, do the uh, rising kind of tie-in comics but i mean i think there's it's the same thing with how you know kamala khan and is is rocking it in team up right now right like right. i also wish that they had their books <laughs> you know like i kate bishop leaving uh-huh. you know america losing those books yeah okay great we can get another avengers book and they'll show up whatever but there's something about being able to tell their story specifically that we're, we're gonna miss you know yeah. Um, I'm sad you didn't say end on the highest nut possible. But, uh, <laughs> but like, well, you know. that may be for next time. We haven't gotten to issue 50 yet. And in, in, in among my tears will be a, a more than a few puns. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm guaranteeing that. Yeah, I was going to say cash you a question, but I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um, I tried Pretty Deadly, the rat number two on its own, and I, I think I've decided I'm going to... I gotta read it together. I can't. I can't do it one by one. I said this last month too. I don't know. I'm just the way that I read it. It's just I need. I, I need can. The collection. I can see why. Yeah, it, it is the kind of book that does read beautifully collected. Um, I very much enjoyed reading it, but then I did what I always do with Pretty Deadly, which was go back and read number one and then read number two. Did the same. 
And then when number three comes out, I'll read one, two, and three. And then I wonder why I have no spare time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it, I, it's beautiful. I can't get over how beautiful that book consistently mm. is. Um, and some of the things that Emma Rios does with the artwork is just stunning. That's a good one. I also, Bob, did, it's not on my lightning round, but my Paper Girls volume came in, so I read oh, the I read the ending the finale. Oh my god! <gasps> I haven't god. read it yet. I haven't it's, read it yet. Okay, I won't talk about it, but it is so good. And when it, it finished, I remember Steve saying, like, when you talked about it on the show, the last issue, Steve kind of saying, like, it just kind of resolves where you thought it was going to, but not in a way that is like bad or depressing. It's mm-hmm. just kind of like, yeah, that's how it has to end. Has to end. And I got to that moment and I closed the book and I put it down. It was like 10 o'clock at night. And I was just like, thank you, paper girls. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's just, it's just what I wanted and what I needed. What an incredible book. Um, I do wish I had read it early enough to be able to go to that panel with you guys. The, the paper girls, uh, mm-hmm. retrospective, as as it were, but we won't talk about it too much because Sarah hasn't read. Yeah, Sarah, it. They, they tried not to spoil anything. Uh, I, I, from someone who'd already read it, it didn't sound like they had, but you never can tell. So it was it was the it was the right call. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll wait to see the, how the TV show comes about. See how that works. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Cool. Anything else on any of Bob's books? Um, I am still massively behind on Wonder Woman, but I did want to pick Bob's brain briefly. I was doing some bits and pieces yesterday and I had some telly on in the background and I had, there's a DC animated Wonder Woman bloodlines and Mm. I was watching it and I just kind of had it on in the background. I was like, I know this storyline and it's to do with, um, the silver swan that was that was in the recent run, wasn't it? Was that G. Willow Wilson or was that Steve Orlando or was that somebody else? Um, I think recently it was Steve. Yeah. In his issues. It, yeah, because uh, it was it was basically yeah. pretty much just the retelling of those issues. And I was sitting there going, I could drag a long box out and look through like 60 something issues of Wonder Woman comics or I could ask Bob because Bob knows everything. Yeah. No, I so, don't. Yeah. In this Thank case, I, I, I think you're. I think you're right. It, it being in Steve Orlando's uh, in betweens, mm. but it was good though. Uh, it's, it's a, a character that goes it. back thirty odd years, mm. and on top of that, it also brings together the, the title of the uh, movie itself. You know, it's Villainy Inc. As is the sort of the subtitle is what you're doing there with all the rogues gallery combined. That goes back to Doctor Marston's last published story. And Wonder oh. Woman twenty eight, I believe, is where he brought them all together. Well, it was it was a very very good um, animation. DC's animations are always really good, yeah. though. Um, it, but yeah, Rosario kind of... Dawson back as Wonder Woman. Yes, yes. So uh, it was. I kind of thought that'd be good background viewing, and then was getting distracted from what I was supposed to be working on, and had to turn it off in the end. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Should, should we? Should, did, while we're talking that sort of stuff, did anyone see Batwoman? Oh, I did. I was going to save it for later, but we could do it oh, now. Okay. You want to do Batwoman now? Sarah, did you get to see? 
Um, I didn't because I can't find anywhere that it's available in the UK at the moment. Um, oh. But if anybody would care to correct me on that, I would very much like to see it because it's probably the first CW show that I've been quite desperate to watch since they started doing them really yeah we won't spoil anything but i i enjoyed the heck out of it yeah i would say i think temper your expectations a little bit but (laughs) but it's good i i i think it has a lot of really positives to it um so uh Batwoman is now on another addition to this Greg Berlanti DC universe on the CW, CD, DCW, DCW universe, Berlanti. I don't know. Yeah, um, the Berlanti verse. Ruby Rose uh, starred as Batwoman last year in one of their big crossovers between all the shows. Uh, and now we, she has her own show, Batwoman. Uh, the premise is Batman vanished from Gotham three years ago. And uh, the, the show opens with kind of a, a young Kate Kane thinking that Batman also abandoned her family when she was a kid and led to some drama. It's very tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruby Rose stars as Batwoman. Uh, I was watching the show and Doug Ray Scott is in the show yeah. as, as Kate's dad. As Jacob, I was like, yep. I was like, I know this guy. Who's Doug Ray Scott? Um, I am in. Yeah. He runs the Crows, this paramilitary organization that uh, is being used to kind of patrol Gotham in Batman's absence. Uh, The big bad here is Alice, right? Classic Mm. uh, villain here, Mm. uh, which I forgot was a key villain in the in the recent Batwoman runs as well. And then when the end of this episode happened, I was like. Oh my oh. god, twist! It was wild. Yeah. Um, uh, there are also some great characters in here. There's this character, Sophie Moore. She's a, one of the agents of the Crows. Uh, she and she and Kate Kane have a bit of a, a, a past together, let's say. Um, there's also a great uh, uh, character, kind of your classic man in the chair, Luke Fox. Um, action's pretty good in it. I liked it a lot. There's one fight scene where Ruby Rose smashes this dude's head in a fridge, and I was like, yeah. "Wow, this is this is pretty crazy." A uh, lot of concussions, I'm sure. A lot of father-child melodrama. You know, dead mom, dead sister. Just a lot of crazy, uh, kind of like Bat World's trauma in in the Batwoman, and also kind of thinking about Batman's legacy and how Kate Kane fits into that. Um, I think it's very interesting. I think there's a lot of very interesting questions about fear and about um, kind of what Gotham is and represents. I think Ruby Rose is a badass, but also as an actor, it hits hot or cold for me. I think there's some moments where mm-hmm. I was like, damn, she's boring. And then other moments where I was like, oh, she's actually kind of cool. So I think she's still trying to, to find herself a little bit there as well. I think the, the biggest thing for me, too, was um, a lot of the Sophie-Kate storyline has to do with their time kind of in military training. And there's a lot of coded discussion about like don't ask don't tell and you know telling people what they want to hear so that you can serve what you want to serve it's very sad very tragic and it builds to what is essentially i think a really strong first episode and a great cliffhanger for the future agreed Um, yeah bob what did you think yeah uh just to jump off quickly on on ruby rose i feel the same way there were moments i think she was trying for i don't want to say i'm in someone's head trying for 
sort of distance aloof but hurting and it came off as nothing yeah and there were some moments that i think really needed something special and they they don't quite hit the way we like she's also really new at this and i think the the storyline if we especially we see some more flashbacks with sophie and how that plays out really through the episode itself will will only heighten that and make it better as everyone's more comfortable with each other again this is a pilot that was shot months and months and months ago right and in between they probably made eight or nine other episodes and we'll see how that goes we hit a lot of the beats of ruckus run and that is really great it, it isn't a direct adaptation but the moments are there mm-hmm. and i think they're going to play themselves out I, 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 ultimately ruby is really good it was it was a, was a nice choice rachel scarston as alice Late of the old Birds of Prey as Dinah. She's grown up a lot, and she is bizarre uh-huh. and, and evil and twisted and funny all at, all at once. There's a, just a lovely series of moments with her as she sorts this sort of thing out. A couple of nice little cliffhanger moments uh, among the various characters. Fight scenes are pretty good. I, I think my favorite line in the thing is Ruby Rose saying, I've got this thing about rules. Yeah. <laughs> she sort of takes over a Gotham that is trying to move on, but hasn't quite figured out how. And it's a different sort of Gotham, but it's still the one we're used to. And whatever, I don't know what earth they're saying this one is, but it is, it is fun. We'll see who else gets roped into this. I had a great time. Uh, it took me a couple of days to see it. My cable company or the CW apparently has decided not to have their products up on on demand anymore here in here on Long Island. Mm. So you got to go to their webs, the CW website, and try to stream it over there. And it's like, all right, I have to watch this live. Not a problem. It's Sundays. It's a good thing. Good thing to do. I liked it. I'm I'm in. Yeah. And. Right after, of course, it's a double feature now on the CW. Supergirl follows. Yeah, which I think, like, like I was getting a lot of, and it's funny, like a lot of the the first Supergirl too. Like just watching it and being like, "There's something really cool about this. Like, cool, different, diverse, um, engaging." I think Supergirl grabbed me more when it debuted, um, just because Melissa Benoist is so good, yeah, and has really just come into her own as that person, but. But, like, hit the ground running with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Alice, Little Joker, Little Riddler. I liked it a lot. I'm interested to see how the Batman stuff carries through, if at all. I, I think that the, the faster we move away from all of that, the better. Um, I love Batwoman. I think the character's so good. And we've read all these runs the last ten years or so. And they are just, just a remarkable character. And a, a, a fresh spin on Gotham in, in a way that I just... I just love, you know, and it's really cool to see um, to see this as well. I also hope they get rid of the voiceover. Like, I get the voiceover when the but at the end of the episode when they're like, "Oh, she's writing the letter." I was like, "Okay, I hope the voiceover stops." Like, I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that like faux noir like let's begin at the beginning kind of like like over talking stuff i it's we don't need that move show on. don't show don't tell exactly yeah. like move on and especially because like ruby rose like re, like clearly reading these lines it's like it's not it's not helping it's not helping here um uh, by the way on the first episode of supergirl by the way did you watch any of last season 
No, I'm I like I'm behind one season in its entirety. <laughs> There's a whole lot of stuff last year with Lena Luthor, and yeah. you, you got John Cryer in his Lex, which was a lot of fun. That was the one of the overriding arcs for the for the season. There are moments in this episode between Lena and Kara that are absolutely stunning. Mm. The, there's a lot of acting being done on that show is all I'm going to say. Nice. Yeah. 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 I saw a clip going around and I was like, Oh, I miss Supergirl. I got to catch up. Um, she has her new outfit too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sarah, check it out if you can. Uh, yeah. You, you, yeah. I'm going to be honest. You have me at do gray Scott. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> I was like, yo, like, I, I can stare at Ruby Rose for hours, but if you add do gray Scott into the mix as well, yeah and like he comes on the screen and i'm like is that no he's a little he's a little older but it's yeah. still him i was it like how did i get this guy <laughs> um <laughs> cool sarah do you want to do a lightning round go on then yeah <laughs> the fake timer is starting now Okay. Strayed issues one and two from Carlos Giffoni and Juan Doe. In the far future, a military industrial complex reigns over all humanity and actively destroys aliens' worlds. The galaxy's only hope can be found through an unlikely pair, an astral projecting cat named Lou and his loving owner, Kiara. So reads The Pitch for Strayed, which is an utterly beautiful book from Dark Horse that looks at the effects of colonialism through the lens of hard sci-fi. Um, with each world that Lou uncovers, Juan Do is able to flex his artistic muscles more and more. And the use of panel layouts gets ever more exciting as the story goes on. Um, issue three of this book is out this week. And I'm really excited to see where the story goes as Kiara tries to extricate Lou from the clutches of a corrupt military. And her commanding officer seems to be wavering in his dedication to the cause. Um, I actually picked this book up first because the pitch contained the words astral projecting cat. As it should. And it featured the artist from Dark Ark. So how could I not pick it up? Um, I was also lucky enough to chat to both Carlos and Juan at New York City Comic Con. And that conversation has only added to my excitement about the book. I think that this is going to turn out to be something very special. Um, and I am highly recommending it, not least because um, they have got multiple arcs planned. And if you don't all go out and buy the first arc, I won't get to read the rest of them. <laughs> Speaking of Dark Ark, I was pleased to see the return of the monster-filled Ark in Dark Ark After the Flood, number one, from Cullen Bunn, Juan Do, and Dave Sharp. Um, firstly, spoiler alert for anyone who isn't up to date on Dark Ark, you may wish to skip the next minute or so um, because I'm going to ruin the end of Dark Ark for you. Um, okay. Spoiler warning given. This new story arc follows on from the events of the first book, which saw the sorcerer Shay killed by his daughter Kaylee in order to save the remaining survivors. Um, this issue switches between two time frames, helpfully called then and now, um, which we see a little more of Kaylee's backstory and also what she's doing with her newfound powers. Um, one thing that they do do is they change the color palette between the then and the now, which I love it when artists do that. Um, it happens a lot in um, Once and Future, the Kieran Gillen book that I keep raving about. Every time something mystical is going to happen, the color palette changes in the sky. 
top tip. Um, but they also do that in this. Um, I very much enjoyed the issue. I was a little disappointed when I reached the staples at the centre of what I thought was an oversized book to discover that the second half of the book was adverts for other Aftershock titles. Um, it's a minor quibble, but it was enough in the past to stop me buying another title of theirs. So I'm hoping it was just a one-off and that they're not going to tease me thinking I'm getting lots and lots of comic when I'm actually getting half a book. Um I also want to touch on a couple of books that have been previously mentioned because I liked them, um, starting with The Plot Number 1 from Tim Daniel, Michael Moresi, Joshua Hickson, Jordan Boyd and Jim Campbell. Um, this could have been a very schlocky B-movie premise and they turned it into something really exciting with a lot of promise, thanks largely for me to the art of Joshua Hickson. Um, I've been a fan of his since he worked on Shanghai Red with Christopher Sabella, and I feel that he is really taking great strides into becoming an absolute master of horror. Um, there is a nightmarish sort of swamp creature and a twisted tree near the end of the book that really elevate the story to a whole extra level. So I'm quite excited to see where they go next with that. Um, another book that could have given into its own cliches is Relics of Youth, number one, from Matt Nicholas, Chad Revman, Skylar Patridge, Vladimir Popov, um, and Lettering by Underworld Design. Um, for me, this was actually saved by the twist at the end of the book rather than the art, which I wasn't a huge fan of, um, but I liked it enough that I want to pick up issue two. Um, also, just to give an honourable mention to The Weatherman from Jodie LaHoop, Nathan Fox, Dave Stewart and Steve Wands. Now, I know that our Steve has mentioned this book a lot and has berated us for not having read it. I read the first three issues on the plane on the way to America. I had to stop reading it because the plane landed and I haven't had a chance to go back to it yet, but very much enjoyed it. Um got past the bit in the first issue that okay. stops Jess reading the book um, because I'm going to be honest, the dog bit. What, yeah. what they do, what, no, it's not just, not just the fact the dog gets shot is what they then do with the dog could have done without that. Mm -hmm. It's a bit grim. Um, but yeah, got past that bit. Really, really enjoying it. Looking forward to getting a chance to sit down and, um, and go back to it and read the rest. So nice. that's me. Woohoo. Yeah. We talked we talked a little bit about plot and relics of youth uh la I think last week or two weeks ago. Yeah. And I felt a lot of the same way like plot was wild and we were like this is insane more and more. Relics of youth was kind of more on on the fence. Um but I I do want to read more of that Vault Vault comics. I think they're putting out good stuff. Just got to kind of uh read it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me the thing for me with Relics of Youth is I was a bit like it kind of felt a little bit sort of box ticking until it got to that twist at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, ooh, giant sword. And then I kind of, that just pulled me back in a bit, really. Mm. I think if it hadn't been for that, I'd have been like, oh, I don't really care if all these children die. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Go away. Um, How did you come upon Strayed with with your, your cat? Was it just the the pitch or did you see some art for it? I'm always interested in how people find new books. Um, so I write the new releases post for my local comic book shop. So I have to look at every single book that's being delivered into the shop every week, not physically like online. Okay. Um, and the front cover for issue one, um, is this very sort of stylized, very long looking cat with a very triangular head. 
I remember looking at it, thinking, oh, that looks quite cool. And then I got to Astral Projecting Cat and went, yep, need to read yep, that. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's very strange. And it's not afraid of showing where its political colours lie. Um, I'm trying not to give anything away gotcha. too much as to what happens. Mm-hmm. But it is beautiful. And some of the alien landscapes that they've created are just stunning. Um and also, you've got a woman in a spaceship with a cat, so there's always going to be that kind of aliens thing going yeah. on slightly in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, issue three comes out this week, I think. Yeah. Off the top of my head, the plan is for it to be it's either five or six issues in the first arc. Um, but then, as as I said, you know, the, the guys have got plans for there to be two or three more arcs after this one if the book sells. Mm-hmm. So please, please go and buy it. <laughs> I need more okay, cats. Please, everyone. More cats. More triangular-headed astral projecting space cats. cats. Yes, not cats. just cats. Space you know, cats. Yeah. Right is we follow. We all do follow writers more than I think than we do artists at this point. But the thing of it is, for a casual reader or someone rolling through the previews, more often than not, you, you're you're intrigued by a piece of artwork and how it relates to. Uh, a, a solicitation and it's so important to make sure you, you pick the right image as mm-hmm. as the company or that the person in the store is up on these things because smaller books as you're talking about if people don't buy these first couple the other arcs may not come out so you know folks make sure you get to your store ask questions do some research there are a lot of fun books that you're not going to find unless you dig deeper. Yeah, there are a lot mm. of fun books that we've loved on the show that we don't have anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to say, though, Juan Do is rapidly becoming like one of my new favorite creators because he's also doing Bad Reception. And I, I know that you guys mentioned that last week as well. Um, but he's he's like he's, he does it all. He's a triple threat. Mm-hmm. He writes, he draws, he colors. Um yeah, he he may well become the uh, the Christopher Sabella of 2012 for me. Because I did basically spend most of this year telling everyone to read Sabella's books because I love them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we did get a last minute listener question related to uh, Jody Lehup, uh for uh, not yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not the Weatherman. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the Weatherman last year as well, but. This one comes from on Twitter from uh, listener Venkat uh, Ramamurthy at Ven Ramamurthy, um, and says, "You know, talking comics, can you do a review on Shirtless Bear Fighter by oh. Jody LaHoop, Sebastian Gerner, and Neil Vendrell? Saw it at the local comic book store, but would like your insight first. Thank you. I'm a big fan. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, let me tell you something about Shirtless <laughs> Bear Fighter. We." Loved that book on the show. Uh, yes. uh, we were talking about it beforehand, and Bob pointed out it's part of the uh, the Holy Bear Trinity uh, <laughs> on the show. Uh, Bob, which 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 books are in the Bear Trinity? Well, it, it's certainly Shirtless Bear Fighter, Grizzly Shark, and My Boyfriend is a Bear. Iconic, iconic texts, all the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shirtless Bear Fighter. We we talked. We all read it because it was called Shirtless Bear Fighter. Right. Uh, of course. But ultimately, what it you? ended up being, what it ended up being coming in the same way, kind of that Weatherman does as well. It's kind of a reverent uh, romp uh, based on this absurd premise of this shirtless hunk of a man 
with his giant beard and pecs, uh, recruited by a, the paramilitary organization to, to fight a bear that, if I remember correctly, uh, like had killed his family or something like that, or like <laughs> and, killed and his the bear brother dropped in the alleyway. Yeah, it's yeah, the same one. yeah. yeah. Some, like it's been a while since we read it, so we don't remember the specifics. But the art was super fun. The writing was absolutely hilarious. A lot of total like kind of meta jokes as well. I remember being incredibly fond of it, and um, and also that being one of the reasons why. I checked out Weatherman in addition to Steve talking it up as well, but, but seeing that it was by the same writer. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, at least on my part, strongly recommend shirtless bear fighter. I will second that three votes, three yeah. for three for shirtless. Three bear for three. Fighter. Yeah. And other... I'm sure Steve would say, make it a fourth. <laughs> Any other shirtless <laughs> bear fighter memories? I'm trying to, I'm trying to like pull out what I recall from that book. Again, it's so long ago. It's got to be a year, almost a year. At least a year. Yeah. I but remember there being enjoyed pancakes. the heck out of it in a, just you're saying, all the crazy things that could happen in a book are there, but done in a way that doesn't make you feel, this is just senseless. No, it all hangs together in its own bizarre little universe. Yeah. And as you say, the art sells it. Because he, he is, he's Paul Bunyan gone wrong. kind mm-hmm. of. But not in such a way that, like, if if you'll recall, a few weeks ago there was the uh, the chainsaw reindeer debacle right. of, uh, was. of 2019. But <laughs> but I think it was a lot of the kind of the same vibes, right? We have this kind of goofy premise, and it's going to be a little uh, uh, tongue in cheek, you know. Which is why I picked up Chainsaw Reindeer, thinking it was going to be a shirtless bear fighter type thing, and it just ended up being yeah. kind of gratuitous and uh, terrible. Yeah, and irreverent in all the wrong ways. Kind of that punching mm. down idea. Um, sure, this bear fighter doesn't do that. I, I, at least I don't. I don't think. I remember so. that. No. Yeah. So I think we're you're in good good stead there. Yeah. So definitely check it out. Thank you for sending that along. When I saw that tweet, I, it was this. It was the morning we're recording, and I was like, we must. If we can put Shitless Bear Fighter into someone else's hands, we must. It, it yes. has to. It is our duty. <laughs> it is our duty to pass that one along. We should do a reread of Grizzly Bear Shark at one point as well. I'd love to mm. to revisit that one. Um, but thank you for the question, Venka, and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, and also, if you do pick the book up, please do let us know what you think. Yeah, we can we can totally be wrong, and people are just like, "This is trash," and I hate it every <laughs> second of it. We've, we've we've had that before. <laughs> <laughs> um. Cool. All right. So I will do my lightning round very quickly. A couple of books on here that I know some of you would be very interested in. Uh, The first of which is Ruby Falls, number one, which was potentially what might have been one of our open discussion books this week, but uh, we didn't really land on it. Uh, Ruby Falls, number one, is by Anne Nocenti and uh, Flavia Biondi with Lee Luffridge and Sal Cipriano. This is one of the new Burger Books projects, Karen Burger's imprint over at Dark Horse. Uh, I've been a big fan of Anna Senti's work, you know, long history at Marvel, and her brief and still yet to be finished Seeds with David Aja, also yeah. from Burger Books. I need the last issue. It was one of the best things ever, and it just kind of stopped. So we're waiting on that. 
Uh, but Ruby Falls tells what appears to be a kind of a slice of life story about Lana and this small town, Ruby Falls. We spend a good half of the issue seeing Lana interact with her butcher father, bar owner mother, and trapeze artist instructor uh, partner, Blair. Uh, things escalate, however, when Lana visits her grandmother in the senior home where she is being treated for dementia during one of these kind of potentially hallucinatory fits question mark question mark her grandmother recounts in vivid detail the murder of a young woman way back in ruby falls sordid history and lana's parents may be involved so i'm reading the first couple uh, pages of this book and i'm like this is really weird it's like this life of life thing like lana like the art's great flavia biondi's artwork is incredible it's like chris samney meets steve lieber little bit of Erica Henderson in there. It's really, really cool. Very vibrant. Lee Lefferty's colors are fantastic. And I'm like, all right, I could get with this, you know, kind of slice of life, what's going on in this old town. And then all of a sudden it's like murder time. And I'm like, whoa, this is a crime caper all of a sudden. And uh, huge cliffhanger. I'm very excited to read Ruby Falls number two. This book, over the course of reading the first issue, became something that I was totally, totally there for and, and definitely worth checking out. Um, also came out this week was the first issue of Welcome to the Hellmouth. Uh, I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. Uh, Jordi Belair and Jeremy Lambert uh, and Eleonora Carlini on art with Chris Peter and Ed Dukeshire. Um, the drama has arrived and we are on our way on this what will ultimately be a five-month crossover event between Angel, Ooh. Buffy, and this Hellmouth main series book. And they're going to intersect for a very long while to reimagine one of the more epic storylines from early Buffy lore. Uh, the Hellmouth opens up under Sunnydale as a result of Drusilla's machinations and things are escalating. Much of this first issue is dedicated to Buffy meeting Angel for the first time and they end up jumping into the hole together to try and save the world. So we'll see how this one goes. The artwork's always been fun here. I will say welcome to the Hellmouth, despite being written by Jordy, who writes the main Buffy series. Does There's like some moments in here that the writing seems a little like wonky. I'm wondering if it felt like word balloons were missing. I'm not going to lie. Like if somebody like missed a line or something got cut. Uh, <laughs> it was a little weird here and there, but the action is riveting. The storyline is great. I love the characters. Uh, as I've been saying with the Buffy Angel stuff, it's kind of like what you remember, but totally new. So anything could happen. This has been a really exciting reimagining, rather. Uh, and I'm really excited for the Hellmouth crossover for the next few months. I'll definitely be talking about it. Um, I also checked out The Batman's Grave, number one, Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. Uh, classic Batman stuff here. Alfred musing about Gotham as a war zone, opining about this fruitless mission that Bruce is on. Bruce is all like, there's only the mission. Um, <laughs> there are some great lines in here. Bruce says this really interesting thing. Alfred's like, can't you just put your head in the, can't you just put your mind in the head of the killer and solve the mystery? And Bruce is like, I can't think like the killer Alfred. I can only think like the victim, which is kind of a weird in to actually one of the core truths about the Batman mythos and leave it to Warren Ellis to kind of, you know, quippily get us into the core of the character. You know, he's one of the best. Um, interesting meditations on Batman in here. With Brian Hitch at the helm on visuals, though, it feels like an event, right? It feels like this huge, big thing. And I don't think it, it needs to be that. Um, creepy, gruesome mystery at the center with Batman investigating a mysterious death. Uh, pretty good first issue if you're into the Batman stuff or if you're a Warren Ellis fan. Definitely worth checking out here. Um... Two final issues to talk about before I stop. First, thumbs number five. 
Sean Lewis, Hayden Sherman. Uh, we had Sean on the show a few months ago to talk about. We were up to about thumbs number three at that point. So I reread four and five here. Stunning conclusion to the series. I will definitely be talking about this at the end of the year. The last <laughs> issue in particular is just absolutely such a very powerful um, exploration of technology, as the book has always been, right? But um, it really leans into, you know, if you're writing this comic book and it's about good versus evil in a world of technology and gaming and, and like that has created this ethos of competition, like it, it creates this idea of good defeating evil and it turns it into win or lose. And there's a great segment in the final issue where Lewis deconstructs that idea and, and kind of redefines and reinvigorates what good actually means, which is this idea of morality and integrity that leads potentially even to sacrificing oneself for others, which isn't good defeating bad. It's good giving itself up to overcome bad. Right. Um, mm. It's a really powerful book that started as like, look at technology and has ended up being something about like, look at us. And it's, it's a really, really cool thing. The last line of the book, when someone gives you the opportunity to live, you have to live more. And I was just like, damn, Sean Lewis and Hayden Sherman, you took me there. <laughs> Thumbs number five was amazing. I hope we get more, but if not, this was an iconic little mini series uh, this year. And, and one that really, hit the internet hard, hit, hit that Twitter sphere really hard and, and well-deserved. Um, and the last book I'll talk about because it kind of segues into a listener email that we got, uh, Powers of X number six, John Hickman, Pepe Larraz, Arbe Silva, absolutely insane, insane last issue, <laughs> epic saga across time and space and memory, all driven by two truths about the X-Men. One is that they are driven by hopeful idealism, and two is that they simply cannot catch a break. And that's all I'll say because Ooh. what Powers of X number six, Powers of ten, excuse me, uh, <laughs> reveals about the X-Men and this, this, this kind of um, new starting point, if you will, for the, the upcoming X Dawn of X uh, is at once exciting, but also incredibly tragic. And I think will lead to some really dynamic storytelling down the way because it reaffirms what the X-Men has always been about. Um, now that it's all over, I strongly recommend everybody go back and, and reread as much of it as, as they can. Uh, I'm sure that either Steve and I will also be talking about this whole thing, House of X, Powers of Ten, um, at the end of the year as well. Or at least I will. Um, mm. And I did get a listener email about this, so I did want to touch on that first before uh, we talk about some of the other books. But uh, So this came from Luke. Uh, he sent me an email. said, Hi, Joey. I've been listening to the podcast regularly for the past year and enjoy it. Keep up the good work. And I was like, thank you. Um, and he says, I, along with many, have been loving the Hickman Hawks Pox run, uh, but something has been bothering me and I can't seem to find any answers on it even now that the series finale has come out. Wondering if you have a theory or with the group's connections have a real answer. So here's the question. And for those of you that kind of – it's kind of spoilers, but it's spoilers for House of X number two, which was a while ago at this point. Uh, so when Moira dies, and as we know, when she dies, she kind of maintains all the memories of mm -hmm. that life and relives life again with those memories. Mm -hmm. um, so Luke asks, does she A, reset the entire Marvel Universe – 
Or B, does she go back in time to the same point, her conception, and live out her life just repeatedly? I feel that the ramifications for the broader MU are pretty staggering either way, but no one seems to be talking about this. If A, the reset scenario, doesn't this mean that every death of Moira creates a new version of every Marvel Universe character we've known? If 1963's X-Men number one and all the stories around that timeline take place in Moira's fourth life, does Amazing Fantasy number 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man, do so as well? Are other events in Spidey's life that intersect with other X milestones part of Moira's other lives, meaning that the Spider-Man that we've known for all these years is actually nine, or at least five different versions, unbeknownst to us and even himself. Or is it B, the time travel scenario? If Moira goes back to the same point in time, rather than resetting, starting a new timeline every time she dies, how do we have one definitive history for any character in the MU? Or are we to assume that as long as Moira herself hasn't interfered with the history that all other character individual histories simply repeat themselves so that their story is the same in Moira's 10th life as it was in her first? Usually, I don't get too wrapped up in the details about things like this, but this one is blowing my mind, and it's odd <laughs> that I can't find any discussions about it. Thanks, Luke. Um, so, first of all, thanks for listening, Luke. Thanks for sending me this question, and thanks for like consuming my brain for the last three days since you sent this email. Oh. Um, now, you guys haven't... You're not up to date on the Hoxpox stuff, right? I'm not, but no. I have my own thought on the answer to that question okay as do i yes interesting without yeah. having red hoxpox which is one of my things that i'm going to do in the course of the next week i would suggest that it would be b mm-hmm. everything resets and starts again and everybody gets a new do-over mm-hmm. yeah i'm with you on that sarah and i think the the conceit of that is is pretty sweet in that moira would have to make sure she doesn't muck things up until she gets to that next point where then she might be able to manipulate things. Mm-hmm. Though uh, from a publishing standpoint, there, I'm sure down the road, there'll be a, a, a writer come on board who decides, Hey, yeah. we can investigate this re- whole resetting thing. Yeah, if we can we final to... crisis the crash. Yeah, of exactly. powers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, it's, it's so interesting to think about because so one of the things that is quote unquote revealed in, in Pox 6, um, which isn't a, a big reveal per se, so I'll just kind of spoil it here, is that Moira, the reason why we haven't seen a lot of her is because she's essentially kind of qu- like qu- quarantined herself off, right? And kind of cut herself off from the larger universe because she knows what she does. So it kind of addresses your 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 idea, Bob, that like as long as she doesn't interfere, then the timeline is the same, right? Mm. Um but what's so interesting about it is that like the 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 lives that she has led are so insanely different right that that i mean i there's such an interesting possibility for people to say like you know is Moira McTaggart all of a sudden the most important character in all of the Marvel wow. universe, right? In kind of the same way that i think DC is elevating Dr. Manhattan with the Doomsday Clock stuff, you know? Like, mm. kind of saying, like, is there a way to rewrite all of Marvel history to kind of say, like, okay, so if we look at, you know, those Silver Age stories, that was Mara's sixth life, right? And and then what happens is when, you know, Secret War happened in 1980-whatever, uh, uh, that Mara then was the cause of the shift in the tone and the blah, 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 blah. There's a way to kind of center her at everything because in a way she could 
manipulate people's lives, right? By interfering, mm-hmm. which is kind of the premise of this book as well, right? The the Hox Pox stuff that she's able to maintain her memories, go back, relive her life, and kind of move the pieces around. Um, which has been the craziest part of this entire this entire uh, miniseries. Um, it's really complicated and probably one of the reasons why at the end of it they were like, so also we're going to put Moira in a little lab and she's going to stay there forever until we need her because we can't have this question being a thing because you can't just have Moira McTaggart like knowing everything uh, that, that has potentially happened. The interesting mm-hmm. thing too is like what version of the Marvel Universe – like the the biggest question about House of X, Powers of Ten, Powers of X Ten, that people have constantly been asking, like, is this is this the main timeline? And I think the reason for that question is because like Moira's power set allows her to like relive a life and create a new life. So essentially like this timeline that is explored in house of x powers of x is moira's latest life so has all of the marvel universe up until this point just been moira's latest life right like these kind of alternate lives that she led before lives one through nine those are just alternate iterations of the marvel universe so then like this from 1962 up until now has just been Moira's 10th life. Or is it as Luke kind of posits here, have there been other divergent points? It's too crazy. God damn it. Hickman. Yeah. I don't even know. I'm going to need a whiteboard, a pinboard, some bits of string and a crazy face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a Charlie, Charlie meme all over again. Um, what, what if he meets Peggy and cap having their, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, They're all back there somewhere. All those what if books and whatever could be at play here, which uh, I guess we should expect that from Professor Hickman. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. I, now that it's done though, I will say it was a hell of a ride. Kudos to them for getting it out, you know, every week, like they said they would. Uh, Mm -hmm. X-Men has always been good about that. The X books and Dawn of X starts this week with X-Men number one from Hickman and, and Lionel Francis Yu, which is really exciting. Um, and if you've been missing us talking about the X-Men prior to House of X, Powers of X, uh, and Uncanny's relaunch, uh, don't worry. I'll be talking about it for a very long time. Uh, (laughs) we'll see how much of it I I stick around for. I'm really excited for Excalibur as we talked about last week with Teeny Howard on there. And, um, I'll try and stick with it as long as possible because really like in, in the superhero stuff, at least like it's, it's really the thing that has my attention, especially with a lot of our favorite books, kind of going to the wayside or, or changing over. Um, Batman technically is going to be done. At least Tom King's main Batman run is going to be done mm-hmm. by the end of the year. You know, um, I don't know how long Batman Catwoman is going to take, but uh, it's pretty wild to think about everything that we've been talking about is going to be gone. Um, and we'll have to read some new stuff. That's always, a, it's always a good thing. Yeah, yeah that, that almost got very bleak then. Everything you know will be gone. Yeah. Like, uh... This is the new beginning. <laughs> but if it's House of Ten and Powers of Ten, surely that means that it's the book's called Ten Men? Ten Men! <laughs> well, it's House of X and oh, Powers of Ten. Oh, it's House of, of X with Powers of Ten. Yeah, okay. which right. I didn't know. Some Everybody else knew, apparently, except for me. I didn't. <laughs> 
Uh, oh, yeah, we, we sent a memo around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ten no men. one was allowed to tell you. Ten, ten men. Ten men. Ten, ten. Ten men, ten. Um, but speaking of books that, you know... Oh, did anybody have any questions about any of my other lightning round books? Yes. Batman's Grave? Yeah. Is this in continuity out of no, it's there's so continuity. many bat and harley books coming at once that it's, it's hard to know what's there, what there is no batman continuity okay. all, all of tom king's run is going to be tom king's run and then james Tynion is going to do something crazy and catwoman's not even going to be a character and i guarantee you like it's just going to be like totally to be detective comics again like yeah. anytime these things relaunch like what happened to the court of owls <laughs> nobody cares you know like <laughs> uh scott snyder did that whole thing um no this is its own thing you know there's another harley quinn joker thing coming out this week or came out yes. last week right like harley joker bad criminals or something criminally insane yeah, or whatever yeah whatever. uh look it's a corner of the universe that dc will always put out and people will buy um what made me get this one though is that it's warren ellis and brian hitch you know um i wanted to see warren ellis back with with bruce and like I said, it, it gets to the core of the character in some very interesting ways. Is it mandatory reading? No. If you're a Batman fan or a Warren Ellis fan or a Brian Hitch fan, check it out. Um, it's yeah. a nice little kind of Batman mystery. Um, it gets a little gets a little hard sci-fi at the end too, which is which is pretty cool. Um, but it's just another Batman book. But it's a good one. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. It's I'm definitely going to have to check out Ruby Falls now as well. Oh, Ruby yeah. Falls. Check out Ruby Falls. I was I was thinking about it. I was looking at it. It's one of those books that was kind of on my radar. And then obviously with the holiday and everything, um, I just feel like I've missed out on several books. But that was definitely one that I was like, this looks weird yeah. and interesting. Yeah. I didn't read the solicit. I just saw Innocenti's name. I saw the cover. I saw the art. And I was like, this looks great. Let me read it. Uh, and then I actually read the first couple of pages like a couple of days ago and then i was like oh it's kind of just going to be another kind of slice of life thing and i really need to be in the right headspace to 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 get into this uh this atmosphere and then yesterday i picked it back up and i kept reading and i was like this is not what i thought it was i love it it's (laughs) awesome um yeah see i did read the solicit which is why i meant to read the book (laughs) yeah because it sounds pretty awesome gotta check out thumbs man Thumbs. Yes. Now, now that it's all done, I'll go back and reread the whole lot. Thumbs. <laughs> um, but speaking of books, that now that we have maybe some space in our pull lists, at least not all of us, but you know some. Uh, I did write this question that I wanted to talk about briefly. Uh, now that we're in the middle of October craziness, uh, as we barrel closer and closer to our end of year best of deliberations. I wrote this question for all of us here at the table. Mm-hmm. What books do you wholeheartedly 100% recommend to your co-hosts from this year that they haven't read yet? Uh, mm-hmm. Basically kind of saying, what books have you been bringing up time and time again? And we clearly just haven't been reading despite that love and affection that you, <laughs> you know, lay, lay on to it as often as you can, especially since we're coming up on end of year stuff. Uh, would anyone like to go first? Sure. I'll I'll just throw it out there right away. Doomsday Clock. Hey! <laughs> it, a book that I was iffy on early, even worse in the middle when there were a couple of oddball issues that seemed to derail the momentum of it, 
but despite the gaps between issues, it is the momentum has built to something really, really wonderful. And hopefully its ending won't get spoiled or thrown over for other things going on at DC, but it's been really quite astounding how I, my, my opinion has continued to grow about how good this, this book is. Uh, a couple of the smaller books that, that actually have been mentioned earlier on here today. Marvel Team-Up has been a lot of fun for those who need to get a, a fix of, of Kamala Khan as Captain uh, recently just teamed with Captain Marvel for a nice little arc and Spider-Man before that. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Marvel Rising has been really lovely team-up. It's not as really kid-friendly as you think from the cartoon. It is more teen without it being violent or anything else. Fearless has been a lot of fun. That miniseries will be coming to an end soon. Uh, Invaders, which I know, Joe, you've been on, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, amazing what Zdarsky's managed to do there. And there's one graphic novel I mentioned way, way back that I think befuddled everyone, unless you're an old-time movie fan. It is Giraffes on Horseback Salad, starring the Marx Brothers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which... <clears throat> A lost Hollywood movie that never actually got to be one. Salvador Dali, the wonderful surrealist, had become enamored of the Marx Brothers and uh, anointed them these surrealist comedians and wrote them a really bizarre screenplay. And Josh Frank and Tim Heidecker, and illustrated by Manuela Bertega, created a graphic novel version of this script uh, in some of the most... It is the artwork is very surreal, as is the story. It goes all over the place, but it is not trying to just replicate Dolly's paintings. It is something of its own character, but yet is still in that vein. If you're a movie fan, it's great. I'm not sure if it lands for everybody who doesn't love the Marx Brothers or Dolly or anything else, but it is stunning. Nice. Yeah, you talked about that a while ago. Oh, yeah, it had to be back March, April, maybe mm. even earlier. Mm. Um, Sarah, did you have a list? Yeah, so um, one book that has only been coming out recently, but I have been raving over it, is Sarah and the Royal Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, that book is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, I think we're three issues out now, and the story is wonderful. Really enjoying where it's going. It's building up with every issue utterly beautiful audrey mark on art is just killing it on that book um very much enjoying once and future again we're only two issues out on that one the third issue comes out this week um and also die by kieran gillen he he is um yeah expect a nomination for best writer um (laughs) you know you guys love wicked and divine as much as i do die is absolutely brilliant um one book that I know Steve has read because he's the one that put me onto it, Murder Falcon. Um, that's 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 all done now. Eight issues of that, absolutely brilliant. Really, it was another one of those books where you expect it to be kind of a fun, silly book. It's about a guy with a magical guitar, which calls forth a falcon with a gun for an arm, and then it really goes places to the point at which I cried at least three times reading it. Um, And I don't really cry that much. Like it, 
it really goes to some emotional places um but highly highly recommended um bitter root is a book that i've been enjoying i know um joey you've been reading that one yep every single issue of that that's come out um has been brilliant um the third volume third and final volume of coda um comes out this week sai sparia matthias bagara again absolutely beautiful book takes a dystopian sci-fi conceit and twists it into this look at love and relationships and when you think you're doing the right thing for someone are you actually doing the right thing for them or are you doing what you want Mm. um and again really really goes deep into some emotional places um and also middle west that has been it's it's a very sweet book it's got a talking fox in it it's got some magical bits and pieces but again turns into this really deep look at family and outgrowing your parents expectations of you and becoming something more Mm. than you're supposed to be or something more than you can be um i think that we've got 11 issues of that i think there's only one issue of that left um but absolutely beautiful beautifully written beautifully drawn um so yeah that's my list. Yeah, I remember like a few of those books. I remember starting with you all and then just not finishing. Like Middle West, <laughs> Coda. Like that's the thing. We read so many books. And yeah, uh, this is why I wanted to ask that question because I want to pick up those books again. Like specifically like Middle West and Coda, books that I like love so much. Isola was another one, right? For Carl Kershaw, like mm, Isola. Yeah. Isola, Isola. Yeah, yeah, that that kind of fell over a little bit for me. Yeah. But it's a good first four issues that... were brilliant, but but I mean beautiful, yeah. absolutely stunning. But the story sort of went a little bit sideways. Yeah. Um and just fell over a bit for me. But gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, similar list here too. Like, first of all, Wicked and Divine. Just kidding. Now that everybody's read it and it's <laughs> over, I feel like I've arrived in the universe and I don't have to fight for this book anymore, which is great. <laughs> um, I don't know what I'm going to talk about on the show, but uh, so the book that like I I I know that I talk about all the time, and I just want to add to this list of things that I will definitely be bringing up, and hopefully people read is Criminal. Um, particularly the, the latest relaunch for Brubaker and Phillips. Like we're up to issue eight now and it has just been one of the best books of the year. Uh, and I know I talk about, it, I know Steve's read a couple of the issues too, but it's just something that um, I love so much. And it's just at the pinnacle of, of what it is and can be. And I'm so glad that it's here again. Um, I've talked about a couple of graphic novels. Uh, They call this enemy, the George Decay book. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah. That's something that is definitely worth reading. Also, bury the lead. I talked about on last week's show. Gabby Dunn's uh, debut. Fantastic bit of of neo noir, super queer, super weird. It's really cool. I'm in. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Super pulpy. Um, Thumbs I mentioned today. Uh, A a few that I've I've talked a little bit about, but. You know, we never really talked past the first issue is Greg Pak's Ronin Island over at Boom. Uh, It's about six issues in now. It's been another thing that's just been like mainstay for me reading through the year. Really great story. Two kids at the center of it from different kind of parts of this world. 
There's zombie samurais that they have to fight. It's crazy. I love it. Greg Puck's one of my absolute favorite writers, and, and this has just been a great book as well. We've talked a lot about his, his Agents of Atlas stuff this year, um, but Ronin Island's always been in the, on the back burner for me, but one that I always get to every week it does come out. Um, and I talked about this at the end of last year. I, I bring it up infrequently, but Matt Kent and, T- and Tyler Jenkins is Black Batch. I yep. think it's so good. So, so good. Uh, Buffy, the Buffy comics, if you haven't read them, read them. They're fantastic. Um, also, there was this one of the Age of X-Men books that uh, we went back and forth on, but that is the one thing that came out of that that we absolutely loved was Age of X-Men, The Extremists, the Leo Williams joint, five issues long, it was one of the best things of the year. And as a miniseries, as an exploration of X-Men, as an exploration of that crazy world that they were building, as this alternate reality, Age of X-Men Extremists was absolutely remarkable. And I wish more people read it. Um, and two other things, just DC-related stuff. Uh, DC East? I love <laughs> DC East. I, it's it's crazy. It is gruesome and disgusting, and it's DC superheroes, zombies. It is wild. Read that. And also, we have one more issue of Event Leviathan, Brian Bendis and Alex Maylie. And I also really, really love that book as well. Um, really great event. We have one issue left. Again, it's something that – talking about the first issue, we never talk about it after that. Um, but it's something that I keep returning to as well. Um, you know, we have our mainstays on the show that we talk about often and we try and bring in some of the new books, but there's some things that we love and we read and we keep reading that, you know, we don't always share. Um, Hmm. and I wanted to ask this question to kind of get some of those titles out there. Great lists. Yeah. DC East. (laughs) That's just cost me a lot of money. Yeah. Well, you know, we have them all. So maybe we could just, you know, share a little bit. I don't know. Pass, pass the yeah, books around like we used to. I'll you just know? fly over. <laughs> it's all digital It'd probably now. be cheaper at this point. It would be cheaper to yeah. fly over and read yes, all books. it might be. <laughs> Man, remember when comics were floppies and you could be like, here you go. You know, like, here's, here's you, can borrow my, you can borrow my Superman. Be my guest. Get it off the newsstand. Speaking of which, there is a very exciting Superman book coming out next week. And I don't think I've ever uttered those words before. <laughs> oh, what is it? Superman smashes the clan. Superman uh-huh. smashes the clan based on a radio play from the 1940s. I want to say mm-hmm. about, so, yeah. about a family who move to Smallville and Clark's only just getting his powers. And then the clan decides that they want to run them out of town because they're, they're Chinese Americans just sounds so much up my street. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to buy a Superman book. This is so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know that's on my list as well. Yeah. Jin Wen Yang and Guri Hiru. Let's go. Yes. Uh, before we get to the books for next week, I did want to touch very briefly on something that Bob sent our way, which was kind of a little bit of rumor mill surrounding DC's upcoming publishing plans. Uh, talk a lot about DC today. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the rumored, not actually titled, but what's rumored the 5G plan. No, it's not your new cell phone uh, data plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is something crazy about the generations of DC publishing. Uh, this is from Comics Beat. 
And I'll just read the uh, TLDR section at the end. Thanks, Comics Beat, for doing that, because it is a pretty lengthy article, and at the end they're just like, <laughs> here's what you actually need to know. Um, <laughs> so this is kind of spinning out a little bit out of New York Comic Con, a little bit out of Dan DiDeo's, uh, uh recent comments on the interview circuit uh, about this new generation plan that he, he may be introducing for DC-wide publishing. So what is 5G? It is presumably a working title for a new line-wide DC publishing initiative in the same spirit as the New 52 or Rebirth. It stands for fifth generation because DC is currently organizing its continuity via timeline into four past generations with the fifth not having taken place, right? Starting with, the rumor mill will have you believe, Wonder Woman as the kind of first DC hero generation one whatever right as the kind of wbdc is is setting up as well um so what might it potentially involve going forward uh a new generation of heroes taking on the mantles of these these legacy characters uh handing off the mantle of superman batman green lantern whatever to these this new generation of characters uh, and then dividing up the past stories and crises and all that crazy stuff into these other generations. Um, Comics Beat also has a why is it happening potentially. And uh, it's they kind of posit like much of what's happening at DC right now. This looks like an effort to ultimately make the publisher's stories and characters more accessible to new readers by creating obvious entrance entry points. Um, which DC always does every, every few years. <laughs> Uh, but I think that this is very interesting if the rumors are to be believed uh, because of this, this the potential for this new generation of characters to, at least hopefully in theory, uh, address some of our, let's say, criticisms of, of DC's um, kind of walking back a lot of their progress in terms of the types of stories they're telling and who gets to tell the stories and the like, right? Um for all of our excitement about Rebirth and its subsequent afterbirth, uh, for all of our excitement yeah. there, it's been a long time since I've been able to say that on the show, and I'm glad that <laughs> we had this story so that I can bring it back. Um, a lot of our excitement about the stories that were coming up out of that, you know, Batwoman, Detective Comics, uh, the Aquaman book, the 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 um, the Batgirl book, like all these uh, new Superman, like we read all these new DC books in the aftermath of Rebirth. And a lot of what made those books exciting, whether it was this diverse creative teams or these diverse characters at the center, a lot of that has kind of fallen fallen back and has kind of gotten back into these older tropes about you know these characters that have been around for so long. So hey, maybe this new generation thing and and splitting up you know the 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 whole timeline might help that and might give us the opportunity to have brand new stories told that might be a great access point for new readers. Um, it sounds complicated to me all of this generational thing. And yeah. uh, I wonder if it's going to be like, oh, Justice Society, that's Generation 2. And oh, OG Justice League, that's Generation 3. And uh, I just don't want to get muddled down in all these new labels. Um, but who knows? It, it could be an interesting thing. Uh, in the old, old, old days, there, there are labels which, before they got crisis out of existence, always just kind of worked as Earth 1, which was us, and Earth 2 was the Justice Society, and they managed to make that work, and they decided that was too complicated. Mm -hmm. This, 
I'm with you, Joey. I think there's there's a great opportunity to reinvigorate what they were starting to get right that they lost the plot of, where everything became the house style and events and blah, blah, blah. And we're all off a lot of DC books that we were on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a shame. These are still some of the greatest characters in fiction, not even just comic books. If you're talking their trinity of characters, and maybe they'd be better served by some new ideas and new people. And the thing is, I believe that because of wanting to tell event stories and keeping certain creators on board, that got in the way of actual storytelling across the line. Mm-hmm. So this, if you if they really stick with some of what has been rumored that, yes, it'll be another event that resets some things, keeping the bits of continuity that, that can work long and short term, eliminating those that didn't, which is sort of what they did with the some of the original crisis, post-crisis books way back, Batman Year One and John Byrne's Superman and Perez's Wonder Woman. But let's, let's stick to it when they did... New 52 and didn't reboot basically Batman and Green Lantern because of who was writing them. Right. And you kept all that. What would that wait? How has he had all these Robins and he's only been Batman for five years? Where's <laughs> Child Protective Services in all this? Yeah. He's, he's lost so many people. New iterations of these characters have been part of what DC has done from back in the 50s for all the complaining about characters changing. When they went to Barry Allen. The other Flash had only been gone for about five or six years. There were people who probably were still pining for Jay and Alan and whatever. Where'd those characters go when we have these? I'm just hoping they enlist the right people, people with the right vision for older audiences, yes. But what will get people energized? Where is that entry point Let's let's just do this right so we don't have to do this again five more years from now. Oh, to be fair, we will be doing this again five years from now. <laughs> yeah, they, they have to keep rebooting it because they have to keep trying to get new readers in. Yeah. That's that's just the nature of the beast. Um, I thought it was quite interesting that this came this week, actually, because we, um, we had a tweet from a guy called Wesley who... Um, got in touch and basically said started reading comics for the first time found talking comics um and enjoying some of our recommendations um he also said bit intimidated about dc and marvel at the moment because there is such a back catalog Mm -hmm. so i went back to him with a suggestion that he emails bob to us for jumping on points (laughs) Um, but also at the same time you know there is a huge back catalog with the likes of dc and marvel and so they do need to have these reboots or re-envisionings or reimaginings or new generations or call them whatever you want to call them because mm-hmm. there's like you know 50 plus years of comics there and to to walk into a comic book store and be like where do i start yeah it, it's intimidating it, it really really is and i think t- to get readers like that and to get new readers they they have to do these let's bring in new heroes and if if they are doing what i sort of read it as people taking on other people's mantles well maybe we're going to get some slightly more diverse heroes and maybe we're going to get some different people and it's not just going to be a bunch of books written by old white men starring white characters yeah um 
hopefully i can live in optimism <laughs> i mean especially when you have like everything that's going on over at like black label as it were dc black label mm. which are these really exciting dynamic stories that the question is they don't fit in the timeline so where do they go right but i mean there's a couple of things number one is no one's gonna walk into a comic book shop and pick up batman 81 just out of the blue right even yeah. though it may be a, a quote-unquote jumping on point they're not going to do that, right? And I'm sure when James Tynan joins up, I'd be surprised. I mean, they might start at Batman 86. That's fine. But they need to start doing what, like, Hellboy did, which was, like, when it's solicited and when it's marketed and on the cover, it, it identifies the storyline and number one, number two, number three, and then the legacy number can be under that. But that's how, you know, new readers are going to jump on. Um and the second thing is, that, like, reading this this article here and hearing about this idea of kind of, like, introducing new characters, I flash back to last week when we were talking about Cataclysm, right? The the new the new Gail Simone the days, yeah. event, mm-hmm. right? That's spinning out of... Um, out of of uh, that universe and the efforts with with that publishing house to create new superheroes, tell that superheroes like genre story just with new figures, and that book got a lot of buzz last week, and it was something that people I think jumped onto and found interesting and different and wasn't more of the same. Um, the challenge with DC and Marvel is like. They, I think they need to stop. They need to start marketing their books in the way that people actually buy their books, which is as part <laughs> of either like a, a trade format, right, or as like a six like six issue series, right? Like this is what we're doing. We talked about this on the show a lot too. So DC, you know, to 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 make this shift, I'm interested to see how they how the books then are are put out there like Mm. this is a 5g book these are the new characters and this has 5g on the cover and it's like these are the new diverse figures as your new heroes written by all these cool new writers this is a 4g book this is your legacy batman and if you want to keep reading batman you can keep reading these 4g books right um i'll be interested to see what the the ramifications are in terms of how the publishing line spins out of this and why we would need a kind of uh event to go into it you know like mm. why do we need to do that that big story crisis style thing again to introduce this timeline thing i don't know well i they're hoping i guess for enough eyes on the new versions of these characters or new characters in general that people will be intrigued and say i'll go do that i long ago when we were first launching and I was very down on the new 52 still am frankly yeah, everybody but, is yeah right the the thing of it was for me if you had the new 52 but also had the old 24 and had as you're saying you have the legacy characters for those people who are coming to perhaps from the movies maybe with veteran creators you could keep that going but make sure those are the maybe those are the the new numbered books. And for those collectors who want to keep collecting Batman, the new version of Batman, if it's the rumors are it's, it's Luke Fox, you throw that into, it's still Batman number one Oh five or whatever the numbers are for the, for the continuity freaks who need to keep buying it. 
you may get a couple of extra sales that turn into repeat business as, as a model. Um, it is, it is time for some, for a change because they, 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 again, they muddled this one badly. Rebirth looked to be a great start that went awry in, in some other ways. And there are, it, it's inferring a lot, but if you look at what's going on in certain books, Jonathan Kent having been aged up, what's happening with G. Willow Wilson's Wonder Woman and perhaps what follows with Steve Orlando, you could start to see they're sowing the seeds for a story that might change some things. There are always a million Green Lanterns. We can always have some fun with that. <laughs> Trying to balance the various parts of it is going to be a heck of a juggling act for whoever does it. And I just hope they land this, they stick this landing. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Uh, the rumors put it at this upcoming summer. So we'll see if any announcements get made. Dan Didio in classic Dan Didio fashion is being incredibly coy about it. Uh, but hey, tis what tis. I think that I saw Dan Didio at New York Comic Con. Jess, Jess and I were standing in front of a certain Miss Simone's table and a, a chap who looked incredibly like Dan Didio was having a very in-depth conversation with her. Oh. So, uh, yeah. just <laughs> Was the conversation, just like, uh, we'd like to do this generation thing. It's called 5G. <laughs> yeah, would you like to? I, I didn't get close enough to actually snoop in and properly eavesdrop. But yeah, it, it was someone who looked very much like him and they were having a very good chat. Um, so, you know, just, just to try and give Bob a bit of positive news, try and G him up a bit. Yeah. It might be, you know, there might be something good coming out of it. It'd be cool. Look on the bright side. There you go. While hanging on a cross, yes, and whistling uh, for us pythons. Years back when they were doing the crisis, you they looked at readership as continuing that people would be keep at that and as, as i put you know the old white guys reading books people like me and so on and, and wanting to keep them on board yes that that's important but the the readership pyramid is is eroding at the bottom for the big two books mm-hmm. you look at the numbers they sell now, sell now as opposed to what they did because they neglected to to bring in you need to bring in three times as many new readers as possible as you think you're going to need because some will drop away. Yeah. That's why it needs to be a broader base, and that needs to have entry points and diversity. And that diversity includes having books for old white men as long as well as young women and the people you've disenfranchised for years by making lousy books that depict people in horrible ways and whatever. Figure it out. Figure it out. Everyone else manages to. How is it that Raina Telgemeier has the biggest selling book of any type on the Times bestseller list, selling only in bookstores and book fairs? There are a lot of readers for serialized and graphic novel type words and pictures together. They're out there. The comics aren't dying. Monthly floppies might be. Interconnected universes that go nowhere and eat their own tail eventually. Yeah, they, they might be more short-lived than we think. So I think it's an interesting concept, and if it works, more power to them. It's a, and, and it's a snake that eats its own tail, too, in the sense that, like, I loved Uncanny, and now nothing about Uncanny matters because Hox yeah. Box happened. So it's like, mm. I don't it's, – it's creating a business model that is just totally disinteresting to – or uninteresting to just a lot of 
people that come in and want to read a book, right? Like, mm. uh, what's that comic shop guy supposed to say? Like, oh, yeah, don't read Uncanny X-Men. Like, they're going to be releasing this event in a couple of months. Like, forget it, you know? And that just creates a self-sustaining, or sorry, a, a, um, a self-fulfilling, like, cycle of nobody's reading your goddamn books, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, DC's had a, a good year in everything, but it's kind of like mainline superhero stuff like the young adult books have, have done really well mm-hmm. the kind of black label stuff the wonder comic stuff uh when they were doing the young animal uh, stuff before as well like there's some really great stuff that dc does but it's not at the center of how they're presenting themselves now so hopefully mm-hmm. with this kind of whatever's coming there's a little bit of refocusing and recentering to really make it you know something that mm matters like yeah. it's a, it's one of big two but dc's been slipping for a while yeah but one last, thing i will say one thing i will say about dc because obviously i look at all the new releases every week marvel put out so many number ones like they put out almost as many number ones some week as all of the independent publishers put together mm-hmm. but dc don't do that dc put out hardly any new titles they put out a lot of trade collections they put out a lot of um like deluxe editions, exclusive editions, older books that they put new editions out of, which Marvel don't do. And I think that's actually quite good that DC do that. You know, they they do say, we know that people really enjoy Batman books. So here's another edition of a Batman book that you might have missed the first time around. But they're not constantly bombarding you with new number ones. Mm-hmm. Because I look at some of these Marvel titles and I'm like, this is it's just not sustainable. I know that they're doing an event at the moment, but do we really need a new Carnage book every week for two months? Because, you know, there's there's one coming out this week. Um, Absolute Carnage Avengers. Well, <laughs> do I need to do I need to be reading that if I'm reading the Avengers book? Probably not. No, because this Avengers is Cap, Thing, Hawkeye, and I can't remember the other one, and doesn't appear to tie in in any way to the main book. But if I'm a new reader, I don't know that. Whereas DC don't put out 50,000 new books. So I'm, I am very interested to see what they do with this. And I hope that they don't go the way of Marvel going, hey, look, we've got 17 new titles this week and you must buy all of them. And six weeks down the line, none of it will matter. Mm. <laughs> very true. So, yeah. But, I mean, you know what I'm like. I don't really read that many big two books anyway um, because there's so many indie books out there. I know. But as I did with Rebirth, I will check it out. I will see what they do. I'm interested to see if they if they bring out a new Wonder Woman and who that is and what they do with it. Because where DC are concerned, I read Catwoman because I like Joelle Jones and Kelly Sue's killing it on Aquaman. But I think that's all I read of DC. Apart from obviously this new Superman book because Superman smashes the clan. What? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> let's, let's segue into... Uh books that we're excited for this week. I think Superman vs. the Clan, Smashes the Clan is number one on my list as well. Um, Sarah, I know you mentioned uh, Once in Future. Uh, number three comes out. I'll definitely be checking yes. that out. Second issue is Steeple, John Allison, yeah. um, Batman. Second issue of Something is Killing the Children as well, uh, which from James Tynan, which we love the first issue of. Terrifying. Um <laughs> My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, number 83, is like Sherlock oh. Holmes-themed. I might check it out this <gasps> week. Yeah. And then uh, finally, the big book for me this week, and the one that I will definitely be sure to talk about, 
is X-Men number one. Uh, Jonathan Hickman and Lionel Francis Yu spinning out of the Dawn of X Hawkspox stuff. I will definitely, definitely, definitely be reading number one. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. That's it. That's my book. That's the thing? It's back. That's my list. What else we got? I've got a lot of crossover with you. I've got Aquaman number 53. I've got Captain Marvel 11. Again, I think I'm the only person in the world reading Neil Gaiman's American Gods Moment of Storm, but number six comes out. Once in Future number three, Something is Killing the Children number two, Steeple number two, and Strayed number three that I talked about earlier. Um, the latest the latest one of those comes out. So very excited about that one. Not that big a week for me this week, just the seven books. <laughs> <laughs> just seven. Uh, let's see. Also on, I will be picking up Batman 81, Aquaman, of course, Captain Marvel, steeple definitely there's a new metal men miniseries i saw that beginning. there is Didio and michelle delecki and i am hoping for something wonderful they're my some of my favorite characters from the old days one of the, one of the first books i ever bought or actually my dad bought for me because i was i don't know six <laughs> uh they've not been served well over the last couple of years in the darker edge of dc so here's hoping we can we can do better with that I have I've only seen little bits of this. I want to see it in the physical version in a store, but I'm very interested in the Deadbeats anthology, which is a horror anthology with tales set in the music business record store kind of thing. Yes, I've seen lots and lots of buzz about that on Twitter. Lots of people are very excited about that. Yeah, the thing with anthologies is always it's what's the mix once you actually see the book. But uh, what I've seen looks really interesting. I'm hoping. I'm sure somebody around locally will have it, perhaps Androids, I'm thinking. Cool. Yeah, interesting book. Uh, interesting week. Superman Smash with the Clan, though. Come on. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, any closing statements from anybody? I have a closing statement. Oh, boy. Which is a little bit of me news. So, as I mentioned um, at the top of the show, I'm starting a new job this week. And because of that new job, I may not be doing the show every week for the foreseeable future. Um, The guys have very, very kindly switched one of our recording dates to a Sunday so that I don't have to stay up until three o'clock in the morning every Tuesday Mm -hmm. night to record. Um, But until I kind of get my feet under the table or the desk at this new job, um, I may only be doing the alternate recordings. Um, so you don't have to put up with my dulcet tones every Stop. single week. Stop. It may only be alternates. Um, I don't know how long that will that will go on for. Um, obviously, I love doing the show. And as much as I can, I will be on talking about all of my books. But yeah, it was just a heads up that for the time being, you're probably only going to have me once a fortnight for now. Mm. Um, so I'm going to ask if I can, can I have a 10 minute lightning round? Can I do that? <laughs> I used to do lightning rounds at once. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I'll just ask that while Steve's not here. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, I vote yes. Yeah, I vote yes. That's two out of four. Oh, well, obviously, I'm going to vote yes. So three so, out of four. Three out of sorry, four. Sorry, Steve. I'm doubling up on my lightning rounds from now on. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's just my news, basically, is that um, I'm, I'm not going to be on every show for the time being. Um, but I'm still here. Hmm. Yeah. I'm just trying to make a good impression at my new job. Although anybody who um, I'll, I'll put a picture up on Instagram later of the mug that I've been bought to take into my new job. Um, probably not going to make the best first impression, but uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll see why I'll post it on social okay. media. 
<laughs> nice. Uh, cool. Yeah. I mean, Bob, any final thoughts or comments? I'm. It's not unexpected news, but I am sad to not have you on every week. But we will take every moment with you we can because it's special. No, that, that was smooth. That was good. Bob's very good at that. Yeah. Next year we're seeing Hamilton. <gasps> no, I don't. <gasps> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they'll be there, Sarah. But I'll definitely uh, lock something down. It'll be great. Um. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us comments and questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We've been getting a lot the last couple of weeks, which have been great. Um, whether it's on Twitter at Talking Comics or at the podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, please send your comments, questions, everything. It, it really makes for some really great engagement on the show. Don't forget to check out talkingcomicbooks.com for reviews from our fantastic contributors. Um, Talking Valiant, D&D, all these wonderful podcasts. And as we talked about at the top of the show, Ladies of Valhalla has a new one out with Kelly Thompson, which is pretty Ooh. awesome. Um, <laughs> Bob, where can our listeners find you? Old-fashioned email. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Sarah? You can find me ever on media social at Geek Country Lady. You can find Jess at Jarzica, and Steve will be back next week. He is at dead underscore anchoress. Uh, my name is Joey. Uh, you can find me at Joey Ruccino. So, for Bob. Welcome back, Sarah. For Sarah. See you later, folks. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued. <laughs>